So today on Arash's World, we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Tzemach Yore, uh, who is uh, uh, the author of, uh, of a book called uh, Why Abraham Murdered Isaac. And so it's, uh, it's a fascinating title. It's a fascinating book. I had a glimpse of it and I would love to talk to him. I've been very thrilled to talk to him and here he is. Um, hello, hello, Dr. Yore. Welcome to Arash's World. So glad to have Hello. you. And if you Thank can, you, Arash. If you could just introduce yourself briefly, and then we'll talk about your book and your ideas. Sure, sure. So, um, so I'm uh, I'm Tzemach. Um, I uh, my background is a, a little complicated. Uh, I was born in Canada, um, but spent uh, uh, more than twenty years in Israel, and I then moved to the United States. Um, and I'm uh, what's called uh, an academic brat, meaning both my parents are professors. Um, and so I kind of grew up in a very uh, uh, text-filled uh, environment. Um, and uh, I, um, through very, for various reasons, I uh, completed uh, two PhDs rather than one. Uh, one in uh, Hebrew Bible and uh, at Hebrew University in Israel, and the other in Ancient Wisdom Literature at University of Toronto. Um, and I'm also um, the leader of City Congregation for Humanist Judaism, uh, which is a, a cultural, uh, secular cultural uh, Jewish congregation based in New York City. Um, and I love I love writing, um, and I love talking to people. People about my ideas, which is uh, why am I, I'm excited to talk to Arash. Hey, thank you so much. Now, your book, uh, already the title got me. You had me by the title, just why Abraham murdered Wonderful. Isaac. Because <laughs> we, we know, well, we think we know that that did not happen and it was a test of faith. But as I was lead, reading through it, um, I was also um, quite impressed with the playful tone of it, which, uh, uh, especially when it gets to the camels. So then you really had me when you're using camels <laughs> as dating back uh, if this is true and it was written in that time. So yeah. could you um, just introduce some of your ideas of the book that you're presenting? And then I have a lot of questions coming your way. Sure, sure. Very happy to. Um, so this is a book about... Um, how uh, I discovered the first version of the uh, of the Hebrew Bible, um, and it presents uh, that that first version. And in that uh, in that first version, there's stories that are eerily familiar, but uh, very different. Meaning, so in the title, it's why Abraham murdered Isaac. So obviously, uh, that is uh, features in the in the book as well. Uh, in in the original in the original this original text, uh, Abraham murdered Isaac. Um, Jacob only had seven sons instead of 12. Um, the, uh, the Israelites weren't slaves in Egypt. Uh, there were only seven commandments. Moses came to the promised land and a whole bunch of other uh, very striking differences between uh, the earlier version of, uh, of this story and the, the Bible as we have it today. Um, and so part of, um, you know, yes, I, I try to, uh, you know, I'm, I try to adopt a playful tone throughout the book because, um, you know, that's, I, I guess it's, that's, that's where my personality comes from, uh, come, shines through, meaning I, I want to have fun with these ideas. I, I find them, I've, I've sustained an interest in the, the Hebrew Bible since I've been a child, and it's been the interest of a skeptic, meaning the interest of somebody who came to the Hebrew Bible because he loved the stories um, in the Hebrew Bible and not because he was told to study this uh, because it's uh, the word of God or uh, because you'll find the secret of life or, uh, or these are the commandments that you must follow. No, I was, I was struck by the stories from, from a young, very young age. And so, <laughs> and I want to have fun with those stories. Um, and and, and so the other... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, playfulness is something that's missing in, in various traditions and religions where they take it very seriously. But even if you think about Christianity and if you think about Jesus, uh, he turned water into wine. I mean, that is an act of playfulness. He didn't have sure, to. Yeah, did. Absolutely. That always impresses <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That is a very, uh, yeah, that's a very uh, uh, fun moment in the in the story of the New Testament. Uh, yeah. Or he's the magician. It's like, look yeah, at yeah, that's, on yeah, that's a Yeah, that's a great act. If you can uh, you, you turn water into wine, you're, you're onto something good. Um, so, yeah, um, and basically, uh, 
um, you know, one of the main uh, ideas that I uh, go through in the book is is the process. Like, you know, I I, I think of there being an original story, and then um, then uh, later generations of authors uh, added to it, uh, never took away from it. So, and that's why I can discover the original story. So, uh, uh, you know, successive generations, it happened a, a fair number of times. And then, and that's how we got to the Bible that we have today. So it's a process that's an, a, a very um, a gentle editorial process. It's a process of respect for what your predecessor had said, and you're just adding your perspective. And I really like that. That appeals to me, that process of building on someone else rather than taking apart. Yeah, um, I read uh, some time ago, I read a book by Ronald Hendel. It's called uh, Book of Genesis, a Biography. And he treats the mm -hmm. book as a living thing. And he talks about three different sources. So I'm wondering if that's what you're referring to. He says there is the priestly version, there is the uh, Yahwist version, and the Eloist version of it. Yeah, so, those are definitely, I, I just don't, uh, I try to avoid uh, um, that kind of nomenclature uh, throughout, meaning, yes, uh, I, I see the original. Bible as being the Elohist uh, version and the first editor that I refer to being the Yahwist and then the accountant, uh, uh, the accountant author is the priestly author. Oh, that's so I just, I, I just named them differently. So to, you know, because it's, uh, you know, a little easier to uh, digest that way. Yeah. And uh, so the, the accountant one you say is the boring stuff, uh, but in Ronald yeah. Handel's book, he talks about that's the person who's more balanced. So in like Genesis is like, they're equally man and woman. So he doesn't like uh, distinguish. And uh, it would be kind of fascinating also to kind of look at each part and what they contribute and who said what. But what I also found fascinating in that book by Ronald Hendel is that it was actually quite entertaining to read, which I didn't expect. And that's something you talk about too, that the Bible has a lot of entertaining parts, but then it also has those slow bits, the parts that uh, are kind of, well, for lack of a better word, yeah. boring. <laughs> And yeah, uh, yeah, something Martin Luther, I think, uh, talked about, too, and said, like, look, you don't have to read all those things, all the parts. You want to be guided by by your own reading and what interests you and focus on that. Is Would that yeah. be your approach as well? A similar uh, um, yeah, I would, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I want to I want people to engage and to read the Hebrew Bible. I feel that it's uh, whether whatever background you come from to deny its influence on world literature and and world history is uh, is something that we can't. It's, it's impossible to do uh, to do that if you have if you're a clear thinking person. And so I want people to, to, you know, to study it. I want people to have fun uh, studying. And so I, I would like that, you know, um, there are a lot of things in the Hebrew Bible that, you know, are boring to read, you know, uh, genealogies, uh, um, a lot of the laws, um, architectural ma uh, manifests in the book of Exodus, um, lists of sacrifices. These are things that most people, you know, the vast majority of people, in fact, don't really have any stomach for. Um, I, I think that they fulfill an important purpose, which I which I uh, talk about in the book. Meaning, I think that our mind is, uh, uh, you know, we trust accountants. That's why I use the word accountant. We trust accountants with data, and so um, so it's uh, that data uh, that. Uh, you know, the, the, the interesting stories are the hook, and then it's the, the data that gets us to trust the book, meaning it's like that book becomes a, a book of, uh, you know, a canonical holy book because people, uh, people um, trust the, the, that just that wealth of uh, wealth of minutiae, um, you know, we weren't, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't get to that stage if the stories were not there, you know, well, the stories come first. <laughs> commercials that are in between that you have to watch to get to the next part. The interesting part yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of yeah. the things, though, that's really important is that two ways of really reading the Bible, which is a literal figurative way, and uh, I can tell you on the figurative way, but that actually like explains a lot of issues we might have with a literal understanding. If this is the word of God, if everything is precisely as it should be, then we have conflicts. We have conflicts with science. We have conflicts with our perception of, yeah. of our life, of uh, uh, the earth, of, of again, the clash with science. So um, something that would be uh, more advisable, especially in our time, is to see it as figurative, as a spiritual lesson. And don't get bogged up in like details that actually 
there are lots of contradictions as well, and there are things that are not uh, in line with uh, theory of evolution and that kind of idea. Yeah. So would you agree with that? Um, so partially, um, 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 so I don't like, uh, I don't entirely, you know, I, I respect the people who see, uh, find spiritual importance in the Hebrew Bible. Um, I'm not one of them. I appreciate Bible for its, for its, uh, the great story and its influence on, on the arc of history. Um, that's where my appreciation comes from. Um, but I acknowledge that for a lot of people, it's, it still serves as an inspiration. It's an important book, and, uh, and, I, and I'm content with that. Uh, so for, the, for, for, for that type of audience, absolutely. Meaning, the, the, uh, you know, taking it literally is, is problematic. Um, and they, and they uh, uh, should focus, uh, you know, uh, should take things figuratively, should find ways of reading the text that, uh, that help, help them uh, 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 keep their uh, ethical uh, uh, worlds and the, their religious worlds in line with each other, you know, and so uh, absolutely, like, uh, it's, a, it's a text that you can interact with on a fair number uh, of levels, you can appreciate it from uh, a number of angles. And then for me, things need to make sense. I like to understand why is this happening? What's the reasoning behind it? And that's the philosopher and the psychologist in me. It's like, why would God want that? Why would he do this? And so starting with Genesis after the creation, and I'll, we'll talk about Adam and Eve a bit later too. Sure, but, sure. But the idea of there is this forbidden fruit, this tree of knowledge, but you are not allowed to have it. And we even have like guards who would stop you. And if you do, it's the worst thing you can do. So one of yeah. the questions is why would he put that tree there in the first yeah. place is temptation? And the second one is what's wrong with knowledge? Because it seems like ignorance is bliss, right? Better yeah. not to know anything. So I'm confused by that. And the only, the, the, the other version, the Gnostic version of explaining that this is a minor god, and he is basically rebelling against Sophia, his mother, makes sense in a way more than what I'm seeing here. So can you explain maybe what is going on? What am I missing in this situation? Um, yeah, um, I would say a couple of things. There's a, there's, um, first of all, there's a misconception around the, the, uh, the way God is depicted in, uh, in the Hebrew Bible. We conflate, we uh, our own modern uh, ideas about uh, monotheism with the uh, with the beliefs in the Hebrew Bible, they had a very different uh, uh, I, they had very different ideas about uh, about God. I would say that uh, there there is any number of uh, different depictions of God because lots of people wrote the Hebrew Bible, so there's any uh, uh, any number of different uh, ways of looking at God. Um, but uh, for the particular author that you're describing, uh, I would say that, uh, that that figure is one that probably the, uh, resembles in, in certain ways uh, the gods of Greek myth, meaning mm -hmm. not, not all powerful, not all knowing. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually, if you look closely at the story, the trees are just there. God did not put them there. Okay. Uh, the trees are just there. They have, they were there always. Uh, meaning, uh, so so the so uh, the, the, there's a, a a lack of power there. You, you know, uh, there's a lack of knowing. God did not uh, uh, did not put those trees there, and so uh, and so they and they catalyze uh, they, they catalyze the story. Uh, and and you know, uh, yes, ignorance is bliss. Um, and, uh, and so forth, but uh, for there to be a story, uh, they have to, uh, uh, Adam and Eve have to eat from the, 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 the tree of knowledge. Uh, so kind, kind of like, yeah, you know, you're supposed to feel, uh, you know, a little sorry uh, for them. They, they, they don't live their life of bliss, but you, uh, it's, you're meant to appreciate, yes, this, you know, this is, this is what catalyzes history, the human story. And so, we're not. We're, we shouldn't be too uh, too concerned with that. So there's kind of it, it demands of you that you not take it uh, literally in that sense. And Erich Fromm uh, talks about the psychoanalysis. Talks about um, God. The idea of God being perfect is is already a fallacy. And so he sees because it's it's basically like what is perfect? Something that has reached its end, like uh, or does not have consciousness, like a piece of rock. Whereas uh, uh, we are striving for perfection. So the statement, I am who I am, or I am that I am, should may maybe be better rephrased as I am that I shall be, 
And so that God basically enters into a relationship with humanity is kind of discovering along the line himself. And if, if we are created in his image, then uh, he's similar to us and we're similar to him. And so in that sense, if he's already perfect and knows everything and has planned everything, then we have all these logical contradictions of like, well, why did this happen? Why did you not stop Yeah, us? that's, why yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that happens so often in the Hebrew Bible that we get, you know, the, those questions arise. Well, isn't God supposed to be all powerful and all knowing? So why didn't he know this or do this? And it's like, it uh, it creates uh, you know it, there's, there's a whole genre of uh, of commentary just trying to explain God's actions when when really they're not um, if you take that away if you don't take that preconception away that uh, he's supposed to be all powerful and all knowing then then you uh, then you solve a lot of uh, a lot of issues uh, with the text exactly and just the creation of of man so we have Adam and then uh, Eve was created out of his rib. Now, some people say that might be a translation issue, so it's not rib, but it by his side, so side by side, is there equal? Does that, would that make any sense? Am I, um, I no, I think that in that story, there's a clear uh, hierarchy of a male and female in, in Genesis 2. Um, uh, so, um, meaning even if you translate it um, um, as a side, which it can be translated in biblical Hebrew, uh, it's, it's a possible translation. Um, you still, you know, Adam was created first and then Eve was created from him in whatever way you'd like. So kind of like the desire to to see like just, you know, it's a side of uh, of Eve is I, I think just uh, wanting to for the story to be a, a nicer story, a more equal story when it, when it's it's not. <laughs> and I, I always like to acknowledge uh, when something is not, meaning I, I, I think that uh, the way we reread stories is very, very important. And there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of validity to reread stories and make them more palatable for a, a modern audience. But I, I always want to acknowledge that that's what we're doing and not try to conflate it with what it actually says in, in, in the biblical text. Meaning it's a story, it's a hierarchical story, a story where, uh, you know, uh, man comes first, uh, woman derives from man. And, uh, you know, and uh, the first story has a more equal man and woman being created together. And it's just, uh, I, don't, I don't feel the need to, to offer any excuse uh, for, for the way it's written there. Well, there's one way of reframing it, which Fromm does, and he says the rib is actually here, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, so it's the bone, and where Adam would be the flesh, and so together we need both, but it's the bone that would actually outlast uh, the flesh, which is one thing, and the other idea of the rib, because that is the protection of the heart as well as the lungs, the breath of life, so when you reframe some of those things, we say, okay, there is actually maybe much more that we can read into it. Whether it's true or not is a different thing, but that's again, another interpretation where both sure. are seen as equal. And I think that message is not given enough when people talk about that. And you're exactly what you're saying is the, the idea of the hierarchy of the, the, the father. And, and even when you look at the, the Holy Trinity, you have that, the God, the Father ahead, you have the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus. Um, yeah. But initially, from what I uh, have read, and what I what I think as well, is the Holy Spirit is female, which would make sense. So God's wife, and together, they have their son, whether physical, spiritual son, Jesus. Sure. However, that interferes with the idea of the Virgin Mary, because then she's begotten by another female. And there we have a clash. So we have to make the Holy Spirit uh, yeah. In this case, male, yeah. and then Virgin Mary is is the Virgin, so that's yeah. the Catholic route. And yeah. so, but it makes yeah. more sense to have the Holy Spirit as female, no? Sure, sure. No, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want particularly comment on uh, on the the, the stories uh, of the New Testament. Um, mm -hmm. though I did, uh, I uh, did study quite a bit of early Christianity uh, um, in graduate school. I don't, um, I don't feel myself, uh, you know, entirely textually equipped to, to offer, uh, you know, you know, uh, to tease out the differences between Catholic and, and Protestant interpretations. Um, but, but um, I, I just want, you know, for me, it's very important. I, I really like the rereading of stories and, and I all, you know, and uh, making the stories more palatable, but I always like, you know, I always like, 
to acknowledge that that's what we're doing. That's that's important to me that there's that acknowledgement when when pastors or or rabbis or whoever uh, you know reread the story. I you know I want I want it to be acknowledged. We're doing this. Uh, we're re, re, re we're rereading. This is not what the text originally said. It's something that I, I feel is intellectually honest. Um, and I, 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 you know, I want to, um, I, I want to, uh, uh, I always at every point um, want to be intellectually honest when I, when I speak to people about these things. Let's talk about Abraham then. And so uh, sure. the idea here is, and it, it's just horrid. I mean, I, I didn't like the idea when I wasn't a father. Now I'm a parent myself and it's like even worse. It's like stomach turning. And yeah. so what you're assuming is saying here that he actually followed with the deed, it's a hundred times worse as well. Yeah, that's. Right. I mean, that's why I use the word murder meaning yeah. rather than kill. Uh, I yeah. could have said kill, but I use the yeah. word murder in the title because that's what, that's what it is. <laughs> and, and there yeah. seems to be no justification for either one, whether it's the test or even worse, what you're suggesting, what could we see as a justification here? Of well, there's, there's two things. There's a justification and there's an explanation. Mm -hmm. Justification, I'm not going to offer you because there's no justification uh, for, uh, for a parent to murder their child, whether they heard, uh, you know, uh, just let, let's just, you know, if you think of it in the modern context, we, like somebody heard voices in their head and took, uh, you know, in the 21st century and took their child to a mountain and killed their child, um, uh, you know, trying to reenact whatever Abrahamic uh, thing, that person would be in jail for life, you know, uh, or, or put to death, meaning that, that that's what we would do to those kind of people. So, calling, you know, calling it a murder is, is valuable, um, you know, because it places, uh, I, I do want to, to to uh, um, to make sure that we we see that it's not a justifiable act, but um, but on the other hand, I you know it's it's always studied or often studied Genesis twenty two is often studied without looking at the at the broader picture of like you know what happened before and how, trying to connect it to the previous stories. That's what I tried to do in my book, and, and uh, I think you know. Uh, that I could uh, offer an explanation uh, for for why uh, uh, you know and the, and that explanation is poetic justice, um, you know, uh, and and so it's not it's not a it's it's not a justification. I don't think there's any justification. I would I would be the first person to put uh, to uh, put uh, uh, Abraham in jail uh, today if uh, if such a thing uh, had transpired today. Either, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that, that's a central question. It's like, you know, it bothered, it bothers uh, philosophers and thinkers to this very day. Like K Kierkegaard's whole book is like fear and trembling, like how the hell? And, yeah. and, uh, and Derrida is like also the, the silence over there frightens him. And, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it, uh, it's something that has continued to bother people since the story was written. Uh, which is part of the reason why he was uh, ultimately saved, right? It's not, uh, it's because, uh, you know, it, it bothered people at the beginning, the first, uh, you know, couple of generations after the story was written. In, in fear and trembling, I just love the idea where you're saying, okay, well, together, they, it takes them three days to get to the mountain, if I'm correct. And so and on this trek, uh, Isaac has no idea what's going on. Abraham knows what he's supposed to do. And just kind of that kind of feeling of for three days, he's mulling this thing over. It's like, I will sacrifice. I mean, this is torture in it on its own, that yeah. idea. So that's, that's one thing. And yeah. then after, when, he's, uh, when he doesn't kill him and, and Kierkegaard's book, but then afterwards, well, how do they feel? Like, how do you say, okay, son, well, you know what? We're okay, right? We're good, right? I was going <laughs> to kill you, but I am now I'm told not to. What yeah. would Isaac think and feel about his dad? What would we, he, he feel about himself regarding being a dad to Isaac? Yeah, and those are like, yeah, very important questions. Like, what, where's Isaac here? How the character of Isaac is a very deficient character. I mean, he's not, he's not fleshed out. He's kind of like the willing, uh, you know, the willing uh, lamb. You know, just um, which is why you know the story of uh, the story of I, uh, Abraham and Isaac presages the story of the Passion, meaning it's uh, it's like a model uh, for for that story. It's like the lamb to the slaughter, and uh, and like the uh, 
and then uh, you know it, you know Isaac becomes uh, later on in, in in Jewish circles becomes a a, a Jesus figure kind of like this it goes <laughs> I full love circle that connection which I had yeah. never thought of before but after like reading parts of your book it just like that is brilliant right yeah. that kind of of seeing like the lamb that's being slaughtered and it actually happens and then the yeah. father does it again your God slaughters his his child again kills the child again yeah yeah. And, um, yeah but it's 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 that that kind of like the, the psychological background behind it and also when we think of isaac how old was isaac because in depictions we see him as a child but what i've read he could be anywhere from like a teen to 18 to in his 30s and yeah yeah a grown man a hundred year old abraham with a 30 year old isaac it changes the whole perspective yeah yeah no so, so this happened <laughs> yeah yeah i mean according to according to one jewish tradition he was 37 years old um that's like yeah um so then the questions about isaac intensify you can imagine abraham being able to control like a 10 or 11 year old child but uh -huh. uh, the ability to control a, thir a 37 year old uh, man is uh, is something altogether different um, and that changes my perspective of the whole thing because i yeah. don't it's not the child now we talk about two grown men you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And so, and so, and th that's where the the you know where if you look at the story closely, Isaac is being depicted as a child. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's the, the reason he got he became an adult was because to to um help uh, with biblical chronology to make it uh you know it's just uh, to align the years better, um and so and and uh, that's how he ends up being thirty seven years old in rabbinic tradition. But really, if you just look at the what it says in the biblical story, it, it, he's being depicted as a child, as somebody who doesn't uh, have a lot of, uh, you know, free will, he's just obedient. Now, uh, that being said, um, Isaac is just a means towards an end. And that's what's important to, to note here. He's not real, uh, he's not ever depicted in, um, he's not depicted here and very minimally later on as, as a real person, meaning um, it's uh, the stories about him are, you know, when you look later in the book of Genesis, are stories that were recycled from Abraham, meaning they're the same stories, just in a little bit different guise. And then, then you have stories, uh, again, with, with Jacob and Esau, where the focus is not, is not Isaac, the focus is Jacob and Esau. I mean, he's a very, he's a secondary character there as well. He's just the old father. Um, and so it's kind of like Isaac is not is not uh, you know is very a very deficient character, and that is because he's seen as a means towards an end. First, as you know, even in the in today's Bible, not in the original version, uh, is a, a, a means towards Abraham proving proving his faith, and then as the father of of Israel, as the father of the of the important uh, patriarch Jacob. You know, so so really, it's uh, I mean, that's the, the depiction, and, and it makes sense considering the roles that are that he fills. And and when we talk about faith, I mean, this unwavering faith, I'm I'm fascinated by it, and I I admire it to a sense. But then it can also go astray into a completely different direction, and we see it in the world where people sacrifice themselves for uh, supposedly a higher good. And so it's, it's, it's really hard to uh, give people this message when we're aware of uh, how it can be distorted. So how can we deal with that? Because I know faith is important and, uh, and, and there are moments where I feel more connected like, spiritually to, to another presence. And it is a very uplifting idea. And we'll talk sure. about this in a moment too. But what would you say, how should we deal with faith? And we have, again, religions who just solely focusing on faith other religions to say, well, it's also the actions, your lifestyle and so on. Where does that fit in with in your interpretation? Um, so that actually my interpretation just doesn't uh, doesn't really deal with that that mm -hmm. question in a very in a very deliberate acknowledged way, meaning um, meaning I yeah, I talk about the human authorship of the Hebrew Bible and I, I don't want to specifically don't want to uh, engage people on the on the question of you know, uh, you know whether this is, uh, you know, this is, has a spiritual message, or is it? It's from God, or inspired by God, because I, you know, as I, I come from this from the scholarly, skeptical uh, perspective of, 
you know, I'm trying to, you know, I, I want to uncover what the story says, meaning not, not, uh, I'm not coming it, uh, to it from the perspective of what's the message for, for the world, you know. Um, and so I do think uh, that uh, like any, like, amazing work of literature, which the Hebrew Bible, you know, obviously is, um, it can inspire a great deal, meaning like there's very inspiring moments. Um, one of them is, is moments of sacrifice, not this particular moment. I'm not, I've never been inspired by this moment, but um, just there are characters. I, I, my, my children's names are, are biblical characters and that's because they're moments of, of inspiration. You're inspired by a particular story and, uh, um, so, so there, there is that even as a, as a, like, um, if you see it in the guise of, uh, of, uh, great literature, um, no, I, um, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, the way I look at the Bible of being composed by multiple authorship precludes, um, understanding it, uh, uh as a message, uh, inspired by God. That is, uh, you know, um, that is entirely, uh, you know, one's affair, one's own religious uh, sensibilities that will, would uh, would uh, inform that. I don't have a, I don't have a, a an opinion. I have my own uh, skeptical bent, but I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, your your bent is otherwise, and that's fine from my perspective. You know, I, I I like, you know, we both can appreciate the we both can appreciate the good story. Uh, that doesn't I, we both can share that. <laughs> But when it's like that, then uh, isn't wouldn't it be the same as like works by Tolstoy and Dostoevsky because they inspire, they're really well written as well? Would it be in the same realm, or there seems to be like something else that's there? While while people read the Bible and are inspired by it more than these other great authors, so what would you say is the difference? Absolutely, I think I think that it's just. It's just magnitude. Um, the, the Hebrew Bible is is the work uh, that is uh, you know the, uh, that is uh, most li widely read in the world, whereas Dostoevsky is widely read, but not nearly as as such. And it has it's just informed um, informed culture in such a profound way that it's uh, you know it's just uh, you can't extract it um, from you know from uh the history of the world uh, very easily like you know like shakespeare if you don't know what it said what it says in the hebrew bible and you don't know greek myth you're not going to appreciate uh, shakespeare and 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 the examples uh, abound uh, in that respect it's just such a fundament um you know it's just so fundamental to the, the way the world uh, looks especially uh, especially in the west uh, matters are different in the east um but but uh, you know it's it's uh, it's really uh, you know a matter of scale. The the uh, Dostoevsky's uh, uh, work um, I enjoyed it many years ago is great, and you know and so are so many other works of literature. Um, you know I, I I try to I often you know uh, you took Dostoevsky for me I like I compare it to say the Lord of the Rings because for me it's the story like the you know, the inspiring story uh, that uh, you know in the Lord of the Rings and and that's how I do the comparison but again I would you know the contrast uh, there's a, there's a decided contrast Tolkien you know unbelievably popular but it doesn't hold a candle to, to the influence of the Hebrew Bible I mean it's it's just uh, you know it's it's just that uh, it's just so fundamental that uh, 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 you interact with it on a different on a different level um, and uh, it's inspiring on a different level because it's so fundamental because it's like so uh, ingrained that the story is so ingrained in all our works of literature and culture um, that uh, it, that it's it's um, you know it's it's a different sort of uh, it's a different sort of interaction. Yeah, well, Dostoevsky would not exist without the Bible. So it's like, and that's the, they, yeah. <laughs> it's one and the other, they complement each other. And so where would spirituality fit in? I mean, I, I'm not talking about God. And uh, there are many, many issues with the, at least the conception of God that people have and the, the conception that is in, in the Bible. And uh, I, I look at that and it's like, that is, to me, it's more comforting to see somebody like, again, the New Testament with, with Jesus, who's like talking about love, but then also contradicts himself because, and that's human nature. 
too. And I think for me, Last Temptation of Christ was just a great reading because I, I could see like a, a human here struggling with this, uh, these ideas, with this um, notion of God, with this, like, you have to do something, you have to develop yourself, become spiritual. But where does uh, spirituality fit into, into your scheme? Yeah, well, I mean, now we're talking about like a different facet of, of my life. I'm a congregational, uh, I'm a congregational leader, um, so I do, uh, I do value it. Um, I would say that in the congregation that I lead, uh, you know, in particular, um, uh, sometimes they're hesitant to use the word spirituality. I'm not personally. I can, I can describe myself as, a, as a spiritual. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have any, uh, uh, but, but that's because I like to see, be expansive of, uh, in my use of terminology. And I do, I, I do see, um, you know, uh, anything that increases our, our wonder of the world, of the, uh, of the richness of the world um, is, a, um, is a catalyst to, uh, you know, is this something good. And I think the Hebrew Bible is one of those uh, important fundaments is like, it adds like it adds a richness to your experience because you because uh, it's so, so such a fundamental part of of literature and of culture and so when you read it and you and you know it then you just you appreciate certain things that are going on in a deeper and richer way and then and and that for me is the you know uh, very key to the contemplative life to have a, you know a, a richness of experience and. Um, the Bible, knowing the Bible adds to that richness of experience. It's not the only, it's not the only way to get to that richness of experience, but it's, it's a one important avenue. And I love it that many uh, philosophers I've talked to as well, they, they do have a spiritual sense to say, I believe in spirituality, but I don't believe in God. And uh, and I can see the problematic idea of, of, of a God that is represented the way in, in the Bible as, as a concept of being like all knowing and uh, all powerful and so on. And then you see that again, also it's a problem of evil. You say, well, why don't you stop that? Whereas yeah. if you conceive of God, let's say, uh, not here as a triangle, but more as a circle, like the sun, and it's it's shining equally for everyone, and it's giving warmth to everyone, sacrificing himself for everyone, it's just a complete like shift. And in that sense, we are more like, our actions are important, because we have to do good, and we can't expect uh, a higher power to do stuff for us. We can't just say, you know, help me out of this. I have to help myself out. And that's, yeah. and I would say that would probably be a humanistic approach here. That's yeah, I mean, that's our approach. Yeah, absolutely. The power, the power of humanity yeah. is a collective, yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I like Buddhism because it's a, awaken that power within yourself, yeah. connect yourself to it and whatever that power is. And that could be again, the same, the same power. We just give it different names. And, uh, yeah different labels on it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's something I, I appreciate more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, often atheism and pantheism are like flip sides of the coin, meaning like, you know, pan, this idea of uh, imbuing the world with meaning is, uh, is like really, you know, uh, um, pantheist, like a more pantheist approach. And then like uh, the atheist approach is just to approach the world, uh, you know, the secular, you know, a very secular way of looking at the world, uh, not uh, necessarily attributing a greater meaning and import uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the world as we find it. But, um, you know, it's uh, kind of like, you know, flip sides of the coin, uh, but, but it's, it's, imp it's important uh, to, I, I, I tend uh, towards that the pantheism, not because I believe that the, the you know that the, the God is everything. I don't you go in those terms, but just the pantheist attitude of uh, of finding importance in the world um, is one that I, I deeply uh, respect. Um, and you know, I would couch it in perhaps different language. Um, you know, and Spinoza's uh, concept of God is like. Uh, yeah, to some degree, not like I, you know, uh, not, not, not entirely, uh, not entirely. Um, I, I, uh, I gave a number of classes recently on Spinoza, so I can, uh, I'm, I'm, um, I, I can say that I don't agree with Spinoza, but, but I, but, uh, but, you know, um, Spinoza is obviously such a seminal figure, uh, just in, uh, in the history of uh, ideas, um, that I, you know, that, 
you know, we go back to him again and again in, in, our, in our congregations. Uh, it's very central. <laughs> what about the idea of morality? So where, where does our morality come from? Uh, how do we know it is the right thing to do? And uh, how should we be driven by the uh, correct choice? I mean, uh, we have Christians yeah. say, what would Jesus do? And then whatever they do is that that's what Jesus would not have done. That's exactly <laughs> the in many cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's also their interpretation of it. Yeah. I, I respect that attitude. What would Jesus have done? Uh -huh. Meaning, because it's it's really um, it's more of like what would somebody you know that is held up to be the the, the best of humanity? What what would that best of humanity done in that situation? If it and often you're right, it does not apply that way. Um, but 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 I see that is like what would jesus have done is something is, is a valuable uh is a, is valuable and uh you know can lead to very good outcomes so like for me like what informs what what is right is like humanist philosophy now humanist philosophy is you know it's an umbrella that encompasses uh you know various thinkers um yeah i would say like probably informed a lot by utilitarianism um you know, but, uh, um, you know, it's uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the greater good for the greater number kind of, uh, uh, kind of attitude, um, you know, and, um, uh, you know, what, what that good is, what, what, what is a, what is a good life, you know, that, 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 that those are hard, fundamental, hard questions to entire, entirely answer, um, but, but, you know, you know, um, when you have people that are uh, happy and healthy and living longer, um, you know, and you can maximize that for the greatest number of uh, of, uh, of people, then I think you're doing uh, good in the world. And an ethical system that it, that uh, is based on that is a, a good ethical system. Um, and what you know, you can attach that to uh, you. You can uh, say that it's. Uh, you know, go back to Jesus if you want. Like, you know, what Jesus would have, uh, what Jesus would have done in this particular situation. And if that works for you as a, as a motivator to do, uh, to do something good in the world, amazing. I don't have any objection to it. <laughs> yeah, but the idea of morality for me is more an existential issue, and it's it's really yeah. personal. So what I think, and the the greater good, it yes, the idea I, I like the idea, but in reality. When I have to, when I have the choice of saving my son or saving these random kids, I will save my son, and nobody really would blame me for it, you know, because they understand why I would choose that. But I'm going yeah. against the trend of uh, this idea of the greater good for. Yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah, no, that's yeah, and uh, you know, I would do the same thing. I just uh, to be, you know, um, I'm not. Um, so that's why it's like. You know, if you, you know, uh, I'm not a pure dogmatic utilitarian, meaning I can't, you know, I don't, I see, uh, you know, I see human, humanism, modern humanism is informed by utilitarianism, not like, you know, particular examples of that, that dilemma of whether you'd save uh, um, a child or save 10 people. You know, um, I would save my child um, and I would I would cry about it. <laughs> I would like, you know, beat myself up about it that I made that choice, meaning it would not, I would not have a whole heart about it and and i think that that's important not to have a whole heart about doing that kind of thing even though you and i can acknowledge that we would save our children um you know uh, we we can also acknowledge that we feel horrible about about that i think I, i'd feel horrible personally uh see i would do it i fully acknowledge that i would do it but i would feel horrible doing it and that feeling horrible is is important morally it's important in the world of ethics because it, it means that you're a moral being, you're thinking about the consequences of your actions, and then you're, you're, you're more thoughtful about, uh, you know, about uh, other issues that are, uh, you, know, you know, ethically adjacent and such. And when, when I look at morality too, and it's like, okay, the good and the evil, the good and the bad choice, but I, I don't see that anymore. The more I'm living, the more I'm experiencing things, the more I'm thinking about these things, it becomes this blur gray area where I'm not so sure. Even in, in many cases, okay, you could say, okay, this is definitely evil. Abraham killing his son is evil. But at the same time, there's this other spectrum. It's like, no, it's good. So that kind of where you can see things 
um, and, uh, various things that fall in that middle range where it's like shades of gray. And that makes it so much harder to make the right choice. So the good decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's part of the big challenge of being a human being is, is, our, you know, is our ability to navigate those great areas, gray areas thoughtfully. Um, and there's no, sometimes there's not one right choice. Sometimes there's a number of right choices to be made based on uh, consider, uh, the particular considerations of a situation. Um, yeah, I think that that's uh, part of the beauty of being a human being is to be able is to navigate the gray areas, to navigate the hard situations. It, what uh, uh, distinguishes between human beings. Uh, I wouldn't have it otherwise. I wouldn't want the world to be black and white. And, and that's what the philosophers get into that, the motivation and the action. So the action might be like, yes, I'm helping poor people, but the motivation might be something completely different. It's very selfish. So of not judging things, that when we see things, we quickly come jump to conclusions, but then we have to look at the bigger, picture of things, you know, and putting it in the context and saying, why is this happening? And so uh, one of the issues I have with like different cultures too, there are certain things they do in religions and different cultures and so on that I completely disagree with. And for me, it's always like a question of like, yes, I respect your beliefs, but I think human rights should go first. And where the clash is there, I would opt for human rights. But again, that is something that many people don't talk about. And they, these religions say, no, this is the one way, this is the right way. We've been doing it for centuries and will continue to do so. So how can we deal with that, with these conflicts? What can we do? Yeah, so, so, so I, I, I'm, I think on the same page as you over here, meaning I'm willing to go, uh, I'm willing to judge. I, as a human being, have the power to judge anybody's action, whether my judgment will be, you know, is, is then representative of, of uh, further action in the world, it just depends on the situation. But I'm, you know, I, I can, I will say that a, a phenomenon that I observe in a culture, I'm willing to say it, um, sometimes not publicly, because it just wouldn't, you know, be the right place or help anyone, that that, I feel that that is wrong, you know, um, and I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to, you know, and it's like, you see this, uh, for example, on, uh, on women's rights in, in like, in Islam, you know, it's, it's you have that, uh, you know, do we, uh, you know, uh, respect um, that, the cult, that, that particular patriarchal culture that has women dressed in, in a particular way, or do we, you know, or, or do we say, no, this is a way of putting down women, the, you know, the, the, the hijab, the niqab, mm -hmm. You know, and 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 I would say that uh, there is validity to saying no. This is a subjugation of women. There, there has to it has to be something people are willing to say. Yes. Now you can dismiss yeah. that. You can say you can you can say you can offer counter arguments. And mm. you, but I think it is very necessary that it be part of the dialogue because otherwise, you know, it's not you're you're not uh, being true to yourself and true to and uh, and true to, you know. Uh, your own sense of right and wrong in the world. And that might not be the ultimate, uh, the ultimate, but it is, um, but a perspe perspectives deserve to be aired. They, you know, you know, there's a gray, there, there might be a gray area, but the perspectives deserve to be aired. If I feel it's an, something is wrong then I have the freedom, I should be able to articulate it. Even if it's a, even if it's something that is not uh, part of my culture, even if it's uh, where, where, you know, I am an observer of the human situation. I have the, I, I, I'm allowed to uh, give my observations about the human situation. I, I, I feel that I should be able to. And I feel that it's a respect. Uh, it's my respect of the other's culture to be able to engage with it and say, I don't think that this, this doesn't seem to me is something right. You know, it's me, me engaging in that culture, me showing respect for that other culture by, by saying, I don't feel that, that, you know, that that's right. That's taking a stand. And here there is, I think, in my view, a right or wrong. It's kind of clear where it's like, okay, this is my stand. You might disagree with it. But again, one of the things I read, uh, for example, is like about uh, Indian and Tibetan practices of burning the dead. They have these, these fires and they, they, sure. they cremate them in front of the children and everything. And then there's another one, or they would just chop them into pieces and feed them to the birds. Now, I find that horrifying. Like there is for me, like, I, I understand you're an empty vessel and so on, but the implications, the emotions that are attached to that, the child who sees their, their, his parents being burnt, you know, I know it's the, the corpse, but still, 
the association we have with it. So to me, I think, you know, you've been doing this, but with the current ideas that we have, current psychology, current knowledge, I would prefer you would not do that, you know, in this situation. So, yeah. so culture is something that also needs to somehow adapt itself to how things are going instead of sticking to this is what we've always done. And so yeah. there's that clash yeah. there of like finding the, the middle ground without losing the yeah. time. I mean, yeah, and, you, know, you challenge, that's how you like saying, mm -hmm. I don't I don't think that you're doing something right over here. That's the mm -hmm. way you challenge um, an existing situation that might be wrong. And and that's the only way it shifts by pointing out that this is that this may be wrong. Mm -hmm. And and, um, and and then ultimately the, the, the culture shifts or it doesn't shift. Right. You know, but 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 it's important. It's important to take a stand, even if you don't belong to, to the culture, if you see it, if you're an observer, mm -hmm. it's incumbent upon you more. You know, I think you have a moral duty in a sense if you really think that something is wrong to speak out against it whether whatever uh, whatever you know because of your because of, you are an observer you know by strength of your human capacity um, and as an observer you have a responsibility to say something one of the things i'm blessed with is because i have a mix of different cultures so i, I was uh, born in iran but I, I grew up in germany I, I live in canada in vancouver and um, i see other cultures as well i went to mexico my wife is mexican so it's like and religions too i like i like christianity i like uh, buddhism and there's just these other uh things that i i study as well philosophy i love so i think what that does is it's it's good and bad and the good side is my my point of view is not like connected to something it's not just one thing but the bad thing is i'm displaced there's nobody i can fully identify with and it's it's wonderful to talk to you because i see there are lots of things we have in common and that's that feels good but there is no community as such where i can say okay I'm accepted for who I am, you know, because I am not. Yeah, no, that's hard. And I, I feel that I feel that a lot as well. I stand like kind of on the nexus between secularity and, and religiosity, and it's a hard place to occupy, meaning I engage very deeply with text, uh, you know, religious text. And yet my position as a leader of a congregation is one of uh, is, is uh, one of, uh, you know, secularity culture uh, focusing on those aspects. And it's a hard it's a hard place to be you're kind of caught between very strong opposing forces um and i appreciate the difficulty i also am a noma cultural nomad like i don't um i i also have multiple ex, you know i you know from canada from israel from from the us very different places i mean i was born in canada um and you know it's i i've i've always felt kind of uh kind of um a stranger in so many different uh, contexts and so i would say like the community that i feel myself uh is a community of of like i would say characterize it as gentle skeptics meaning people who are willing to engage you know don't uh, don't dismiss uh the other uh you know are willing to listen uh, to, to multiple perspectives and uh you know but be skeptical you know because that's you know that's uh true to yourself um you know, and that's what like I think there are a lot of us out there, like gen gentle skeptics, meaning people who are who pre want to learn more about the world, but are skeptical about uh, about you know uh, about the you know the truths, the, the you know this is the way it is, you know, and that's I think you know constitutes a, a sizable community. Um, I don't know, I don't know, uh, you know, the, the groupings that I find, I don't know, I, I haven't found like a, a good place for gentle skeptics, you know, because <laughs> uh, there's skeptics, there are strong skeptics, like, you know, the atheists who will dismiss everything, uh, you know, that has any uh, tinge of religion. And then there's a, and then there's like deeply religious people that are really don't invite skepticism into their communities. And then, and it's just like, you know, so yeah, I wander around moderate, uh, you know, moderate groups, like moderate religious groups, um, moderate skeptics, uh, secular groups, you know, mm -hmm. but it's hard. Yes, I feel, I feel, I, I hear you. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, that, that kind of home is, is difficult to find. And it's also the culture because it's not fully part of me. I feel like I can criticize it because I say, you know, I this is my own culture. Or this is my culture was brought up in. And I disagree with some of the things you're doing or it's, I don't accept the full package. 
and but you get criticized for that. So so how do you deal with that criticism? And I I, I can sense that uh, you will be criticized. You are criticized probably. Uh, often, yeah. How do you deal with that? On a criticism? daily basis, often by my own congregants. <laughs> I'm very honest with them all the time. You know, it's like yes, um, but that that's you know. Um, when it when it's when there's respect that comes with it too when there's an acknowledgement of another po person's point of view that's when uh, whatever like disagreement is just uh, is just muted it's just not like the the strength of it okay well, i have a different perspective than you but i still but, but i still respect you and where you're coming from and when the, that exists that that uh, mutuality exists then you, you can coexist with somebody with a different perspective uh, if, that, identify, if it's my way or the highway, exactly. <laughs> no. But, yeah. but people identify very strongly with those ideas. And so what yeah. it does is when you say you don't agree with it, they see it as a threat. And psychologically, they see you as the enemy. And they're actually scared of you and on the defensive or start attacking you. Yeah. And yeah, so, and I get that a lot because I'm very, very knowledgeable about religious texts and I can and I uh, come from a very, very different dis uh, perspective. And I so and I, I can hold my own in those kinds of debates. And so that's sometimes scary to to, you know, um, but I don't I, I, I would never like go into a debate and be dismissive of the other side. Like, you know, I would, uh, you know, get sometimes that's, you know, that doesn't prevent me being seen as a threat, meaning however, however, uh, however you present yourself just by who I am, I'm seen as a threat. Some Sometimes you know it's just uh, just that way, yeah. But there, there has to be like some sort of sense of self, like where you say my intuition, this is what I feel is right, this is what resonates with me, this is who I am, and just be taking that path. Now, whether it's many other people who join me or I'm the only one, mm -hmm. I would need to take. And that's what I like about the, the 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 figure of Jesus. He's like, you know what? You have your own ways of doing things, but this is what I believe in, and this is my stand. I, and uh, in, a, in a way, it's extreme. I'm, I'm ready to, to die for this, which is too far for me in many cases. But, um, and I appreciate that. Now, if it's, however, serving the common good, if it's something that I can say, to me, it seems the right path. And what for me, Jesus is, is a Marxist. I mean, he's, and he's, he's taking care of the poor and he's, he's talking about children, he's with prostitutes, but nobody else really sees that. When I hear like a priest talking about uh, this figure and I'm thinking you're missing the point. And he is somebody who has fun. And just to go back to our, to our laughter, yeah. like, you know, he, he likes to have a good time. He drinks wine, right? Yeah, he, yeah and he was, willing to, he was willing to talk to anyone. He was exactly. willing to he was yeah. willing yeah and so that kind of figure of you know of somebody who's willing to talk to anyone um you know just to, to take their uh, see them as a human being a fellow human being um you know uh no matter what the difference in station or whatever that's an attitude that that, that uh, I, I i can appreciate and be inspired by um you know, even though you know uh, the New Testament is not a, a book that deeply informs my uh, my own personal experience, right? Uh, but I can be inspired by the by the like the that that uh, sense of compassion and humanity that uh, is is evidence there. Um, you know, it is it is inspiring. Somebody who can talk to anyone uh, just uh, you know at their own at face level. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh... I think uh, our conversation is very inspiring, and, uh, and uh, oh, thank, thank you so you. much for uh, for agreeing to to talk with me. And uh, I, I enjoyed this very much. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. me too. Well, and it's just uh, and what what I see in in, in, this, in uh, conversations like this, and I, I completely agree with you. There's no idea of like I am right, you are wrong, and so on. It's an interaction. It's a flow. It's a flow of energy, if you like. Where we're like, okay, this is how I feel. This is how you feel. And we we click in certain things and disagree with yeah. certain. Things. But yeah. the whole thing is, this is, I think, how change of mind comes about. This is yeah. how we learn. It's conversation. It's how we yeah. connect. It's conversation. And so many people don't have that, and they just like shut off or like you know just end the conversation. Yeah. And especially yeah. people who are very firmly set in their religious views. And I find. Yeah. 
there is not enough open dialogue and uh no there's not probably, there's, there's not enough <laughs> it was one of them, they would have just uh, kind of logged off after the first five minutes where i say jesus likes to drink wine it's like okay yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> but i'm glad you stuck it through and you, you yeah you know i mean i'm not i i you know i love the i love playfulness with the with holy text you know i think it would do everyone a world of good if they looked at their text playfully and uh, you know, uh, are, we're inspired by the stories, and you know, it's just uh, you know, it's it's a, a dose of uh, you know, a good dose of, uh, of it's a healthy, it's something healthy to do. And, and it's and um, philosophy and, through with the deconstructionists who like to play around with words and these ideas and cross them out. And so, and I appreciate yeah. that. And I think again, it's it needs to inform everybody and uh, all types of religion. It's like you know, relax, yeah. have fun. <laughs> Have a good time. Yeah, I, right? I once, uh, like, I'll tell you of a fun project. I once changed yeah. every masculine to feminine, every feminine to masculine in the books of Genesis and Exodus, just to see how it would read. And then I published uh -huh. it. It was oh. just for fun, you know, <laughs> just like out of a sense of playfulness, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, because of my feminist sensibilities, I wanted to see how a female higher led hierarchy would look differently. You know, it's just, but that was me for having fun with the text. Like, I, I just enjoy the text. To that? I'm just curious. Well, <laughs> Um, so it, it was interesting. I mean, it wasn't widely read, but it was, uh, but it was, uh, I would say, you know, um, it just illuminated that whatever, you know, wherever the hierarchy comes from, the hierarchy itself, not whether it's male or female, it's, it's the hierarchy itself is the issue. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and when you have rigid hierarchies, they are problematic. Um, I would say that that's like the insight that you can gain from that. It's not, uh, it's not a gendered uh, insight. And taking different viewpoints. I mean, one of the reasons I became an instructor was, uh, was watching uh, Robin Williams, like stand on a desk and say, okay, now this is a completely different view and uh, uh, um, that point society. And it was so inspiring to me. It's like, yes, why do we just look at it one way? Why not look it from it the other point of view when we read the bible from adam from uh, uh, abraham's point of view or from isaac's point of view and that kind of shift and i think by doing that that is also a playfulness we can also see the other perspective and i think that yeah. is just enriching instead of one set way and this is how to do it yeah absolutely thanks so much, thanks so much yeah. for to me absolutely my, it was, it was my distinct uh, pleasure arash thank you so um, much. i enjoy i enjoy talking to people people who, who like to have fun with ideas. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. <laughs>